time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, July 24th, 2020. I've been saying 2020 a long time now. I can't remember if I mix it up. 2020, 2020. Anyway, uh, I'm going to try to start calling it 2020 because I think uh, we'll all remember 2020, that's for sure. Uh, Happy Friday to everyone out there. Really excited about, uh, you know, hitting to the weekend, getting a few days off here myself. Uh, Got some plans that I'll tell you guys about on Monday, I think. But for now, it's Friday. We're here. Thank you for joining us, whatever time you're listening to it. A big show today. We have on the program Michael Frain, who is a college football referee referee a white hat a, uh, a referee at the college football division three level in uh, ncaa he has some aspirations to climb to the division one level he's kind of a uh, one of the virtual crew members or guy you know he'll talk all about it uh how how the college football officiating world works of course and how you're kind of a supplemental guy. You're on a crew, but you're, you know, you, you, it's, it's a long process and everything. We've had an opportunity to work a few games together. So he's going to talk about what it's like officiating football at the college level out here in California. He's originally from Chicago. So we're going to talk some Chicago sports as well. Uh, what the differences are, you know, California, what it's like being a, a non uh, California resident or, or a, you know, growing up here or anything. He also works for Disney as a software engineer. So for for those of you guys like me who have these like the ESPN app where you get all these updates uh, on your phone about breaking news and stuff. Well, uh, Michael actually has a hand in that. He uh, he helps with all that kind of stuff. So uh, you're going to meet the man behind the uh, the update, we'll say the man behind the uh, all those app features and everything. Michael Frame coming up here shortly. It is Friday, so we do a segment on Fridays called Suds with Studs, basically honoring members of the military, maybe some law enforcement, maybe just somebody who uh, just has done something great and is a hero. So if you have any suggestions for those, be sure to send them in to me. Give me you know, a name and then kind of a little brief summary on them. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about them. Um, today on the program, uh, well, I'll, I won't tease it too much, but we do have somebody I think everybody has heard of, uh, a true hero and just somebody we would love to sit down and have a beer with if if it were possible, if they were alive, of course, because a lot of the people we talk about either um, lost their life because of their actions in uh, combat, such as, you know, some uh, Medal of Honor winners or uh, people that are from history that lived a long time ago and, you know, they've passed on since then. But if it were possible, these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with, which is why we call it Suds with Studs. And we have it every single Friday. Well, the past six or seven Fridays we've been doing, but uh, we love it. We, we're going to continue to do it. And I think you guys will really enjoy uh, today's segment of Suds with Studs coming up here shortly, right before the interview with Michael Frame. Well, a couple things have been in the news uh, lately. Of course, Major League Baseball was back last night. How crazy was that to see real live uh, games that counted, right? We'll say. And as I mentioned yesterday, you know, we'll see how political all this stuff gets. I, I really hope professional sports, professional athletes don't find a way to push away fans, to alienate fans with some of the 
things going on. But you know what? Uh, I, I think it's going to happen, unfortunately. So as I said yesterday, we'll see what happens. Uh, but today, on Friday, we have a full slate of Major League Baseball games. Yesterday, uh, just a, a couple were, were you know uh, supposed to play. And today, we have uh, all the rest of the teams playing. So a big day for Major League Baseball. Again, I can't believe it's starting in, uh, what is this, July 24th. It's pretty weird. But anyway, uh, a couple other news that broke uh, with uh, in regards to sports. Uh, you know, the Washington Redskins changed their name. And rather than have a, a name kind of ready to go, they said they're just going to call themselves the Washington football team, which has me really scratching my head. Uh, I have a lot of comments on this and, and I will get to it sh shortly, but I don't want to take away from some of the things that are going on uh, around the country. I don't want to take away from our, what our guests, our interview coming up here. Uh, I, I do know that. Uh, I don't know how much better that makes the situation. The Washington football team, like, I don't know. This whole thing just seems rushed to me. That's how I'll start off by saying it. Uh, I do have some strong opinions on the whole Redskins name change, but I will, I'll get to that eventually. <laughs> I just do. I do think today on a Friday that calling yourselves the Washington football team. I mean, that, that that's the plan really going forward this year is that you're going to call themselves the Washington. We're getting so vanilla these days in, uh, you know, in some of the name, <laughs> the naming of things that I'm like, you couldn't come up with something. I mean, there was this big rush to remove the name. Okay, but you could come up with something, some generic, anything. The Washington football team. I might jokingly call other teams that now uh, in going forward. Uh, the Los Angeles uh, baseball team, uh, you know, played last night and they're playing again uh, today. But anyway, that's where I'm at. I, I, I don't know what to make of some of this stuff. Uh, but we'll get to some more of that, I'm sure, next week when I get a little more fired up. Uh, some other news that broke, and I know maybe not everyone is into hockey, but I thought this was some positive news out of the Northwest for a change, right? Seattle and Portland, it's been a war zone, and uh, this was pretty cool, I thought. The NHL team, expansion team up there that will open up next season, uh, they not only uh, announced the name of the franchise, but they also put out the logo. They did a little video on it. I, I got to tell you, Seattle absolutely nailed this. They are going to be the Seattle Kraken. I, I think it's a great name. It's very fitting of kind of the, the city there on the water. Um, the color scheme of the logo, it's incredible. I mean, they knocked it out of the park. I don't think many people agree on some of these things when they come out, but I've yet to see anyone really upset about it. I do know that when they released the LA Rams new logo and colors and all this and that, that was very controversial, very split, uh, a lot of upset people, but man, the Seattle Kraken, uh, uh, Bravo, whoever came up with it, uh, kudos to you, uh, Bravo. I think it fits really well. It's going to be a great fit for the city of, of Seattle and, and also for the national hockey league. Great stuff. Uh, more teams on the West coast playing hockey. I think it's great stuff. If you haven't had a chance, go check it out on YouTube or whatever. The Seattle Kraken uh, logo and team name release. Pretty, pretty cool. Let me tell you. Uh, and in a world today when mascots and logos and all these things are under attack, that was some very positive news. So I was happy to, uh, to see that yesterday as well. Uh, 
Well, I don't want to waste too much more time today as far as our intro goes. We got to get to the Suds with Studs segment. So let's get into that. And then we get we got our interview with Michael Frayne today. I do want to wish everyone a happy Friday. Uh, great times. We're moving forward. More professional sports are back. I think there's more on the horizon. We'll get into all that uh, next week. Uh, and when we start up another week of shows on Monday, but let's go to let's get to our Suds with Stug, Studs segment and also the uh, the interview with Michael Frayne. We will get to both of those after a very quick break. Well, on Fridays, we have been doing a weekly segment called Suds with Studs. And basically, for those listening to the first time, it is a segment where we try to honor somebody, usually from the military, but it can be uh, anywhere, really. Um, We started off with a few Medal of Honor winners in the past couple weeks, uh, or last week, I should say, and this week. Uh, They're not Medal of Honor winners, but they are quite... uh, Quite impressive people, we'll say. Quite, uh, just as an example, last week we talked about Robert O'Neill, who was the man who shot and killed Osama bin Laden. We have had on here uh, one of our first uh, people we honored on the Suds with Stud segment was William Harvey Carney, who was the first black man to win the Medal of Honor. Uh, he did so in the Civil War. We had William Kyle Carpenter, who in Afghanistan was a Marine who jumped on a grenade and saved uh, his fellow soldiers. He's the youngest living recipient of the Medal of Honor. And so that's kind of an idea of some of the people we've talked about the past few weeks. Uh, I was thinking this week, who do we honor? You know, uh, the past couple of weeks, we've kind of honored some I guess more recent soldiers, some more recent heroes. And I, I, I do want to bounce around to kind of different time periods and, and things because I think it's very relevant. But uh, as I do research on these men and, and people that we do want to honor in our Suds with Studs segment, uh, you know, sometimes it just whatever comes to mind, I'm like, yep, that's the guy this week. So uh, the reason we call it Suds with Studs is because these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with. Many of them have passed on either uh, due to uh, the time period or that they uh, passed away in combat for their, uh, how should we say, for uh, their actions. So uh, this week, uh, I think it's a no-brainer, and we mentioned this person on the podcast a few weeks ago, not in our Suds with Studs segment, but uh, Pat Tillman. I mean, I don't think you can talk sports and uh, service uh, without mentioning the name Pat Tillman. I know he came up a few weeks ago when uh, Brett Favre uh, mentioned him, Pat Tillman that is, and Colin Kaepernick in the same sentence, basically talking about uh, guys that sacrificed a lot. Well, as I said then, and I'll say again, Colin Kaepernick could not hold the helmet of, of Pat Tillman. And uh, Pat Tillman is a brave warrior, uh, somebody who sacrificed millions of dollars, literally, to join the armed forces and fight the war on terrorism. And unfortunately, he lost his life in doing so. I think many people know his story, but I think it's worth mentioning as we've done this segment the past couple of weeks, our Suds with Studs segment 
football season is coming up. And, uh, you know, Pat Tillman, I said, we got to talk about Pat Tillman. He's one of my favorite people in all of history. And and that's saying something. So let's get right into it with uh, Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman uh, was an NFL player. He played with the Arizona Cardinals uh, from 1998 to 2001. Uh, He gave up playing in the NFL. He was, he was, uh, people wanted him. The teams, teams wanted to sign him, the Cardinals. And the, there was, there was uh, offers on the table to, uh, have a new contract to be extended and, and make uh, a few million dollars. We'll get into that. But after September 11th, Pat Tillman decided to give up everything, give up all the NFL, give up all the money and uh, join the military, specifically the army. And, uh, you know, we'll get into that here with our story, but, uh, Pat Tillman joined the army, served admirably and, and was killed in action. Uh, a few years later, uh, reports, uh, you know, it came out that in reports that it was friendly fire. I don't think that takes away at all from what happened and, and, and Pat Tillman, his service, his giving up of the NFL career and uh, going into a career of service. I don't think there is uh, the fact that he was killed by family fire that t- should not change anything or any viewpoint of him um, I've never been in combat I've, I've heard people talk to me about their experiences in combat and I know that combat is it's hell on earth it is uh, the worst thing you can be around and in all the chaos sometimes uh, there's confusion shooting in wrong directions shooting at the wrong people and unfortunately that's what happened so that's kind of a summary but let's go into a few details about uh uh, Pat Tillman. Uh, he served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Again, his his uh, death was the subject of a um, national attention and also uh, some investigation into what really happened. But I don't want to focus on all that. I want to focus on the man, the what he actually gave up. Uh, it's just incredible. It's so inspiring to me. And, and someone who I remember 9-11 like it was yesterday. And I was 16 years old. A junior in high school and we all thought when that hit that man this is this is Pearl Harbor this is we're all going to end up drafted and uh, you know be serving in the military here in a couple years that that was our thought and uh, you know the, the U.S. did not have to go to a draft because there was plenty of men and women like Pat Tillman who were willing to step forward and, and fight evil and fight terrorism so here are a few things about Mr. Pat Tillman he's actually born in California Northern California guy he played college football at Arizona State. And Pat Tillman was one of those guys. I would think he's kind of like my, one of my kind of guys. A guy that uh, maybe a little undersized. Uh, he, he was, uh, don't get me wrong, he was above and beyond the athlete I ever was. <laughs> but he was a, my type of player, I should say. A guy that kind of was all, all drive, all motor. I mean, a very intelligent guy. Uh, someone who excelled in the classroom, graduated rather quickly from Arizona State. He actually secured the last scholarship on the Arizona State program. Um, he played in a Rose Bowl with uh, Arizona State in 1997, I believe, the 96 season. Forgive me if I'm wrong there. I believe that's what I read. Uh, anyway, he was a uh, the Pac-10, Pac-10 back then, Defensive Player of the Year. He uh, academically was uh, just outstanding. Excelled in the classroom. Just a just a true leader. He played safety in college. Um, in the NFL draft, he was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, and uh, he was one of those late round picks, kind of in the late two hundreds. You know that 
probably is just a guy that okay, you got to fight for the fight for the position. And excuse me, I misspoke. He was actually a linebacker. He was an undersized linebacker in college. Uh, he made the move to safety in the NFL and was just an absolute effort guy. Guy that was tough nosed, hard nosed, you know, just always in the middle of things, uh, always making tackles. Uh, he finished. I think he ha- had over 300 tackles in his four year NFL career. He played in like 10, 10 of his six, first 16 games as a rookie. So just an absolute effort guy. Um, I do know that the Rams at one point, St. Louis Rams back then, were offering him a pretty good deal at one point. I believe it was in the somewhere around $9 million. And at a loyalty to the Cardinals, he, he turned it down, took a little less money to stay close to home in Arizona. Anyway, after the September 11th attack, he played the he played out that season, the remaining games in the 2001 season. He turned down a contract offer from the Arizona Cardinals uh, that would have paid him 3.6 million dollars over three years, and he enlisted in the United States Army. So that in itself, right there, is enough for Pat Tillman to be a hero. The fact that he felt such a deep desire to leave this football life and join. United States Army because he knew the military was going to be uh, going to be out there uh, trying to make the world a better place and anyway Pat and his brother actually enlisted in the army they uh, completed the ranger program in late 2002 and uh, served in Iraq uh, a couple tours I believe uh, let's see here I don't want to misspeak, misspeak on anything here uh, but let's see uh, so it was 2002, and then unfortunately, April 22nd, 2004, um, Pat Tillman was killed in Afghanistan. And it's unfortunate that these patrols basically got separated. They ambushed and separated. It was dark, I believe, and they weren't sure where the uh, the fire, the, uh, the enemy was. They were getting fired upon. There was just some confusion, nothing intentional, of course, but unfortunately, Pat Tillman was killed April 22nd, 2004. And, um, you know, he was a hero before even he stepped into the Middle East in the combat, just from stepping away, and then to to end up giving his life. And unfortunately, it was a very tragic situation. All all deaths are, uh, but it's very tragic the way he was killed. And, uh, you know, a lot of people wanted to go into the news and talk about uh, exactly what happened. But, you know, we don't we don't want to focus too much on that. We want to focus on Pat Tillman, the man. I know he's a hero to many people. He's probably the most famous Arizona Cardinal. I know there's a statue of him outside uh, the uh, place where the Cardinals play University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Um, I know the Sun Devils, Arizona State Sun Devils, they play pay a lot of tributes to him. Uh, he's been gone 16 years now, which is just so hard to believe. But I will never forget uh, Pat Tillman because I will never forget 9-11. And when 9-11 happened, it was just like the world stopped. And then to hear Pat Tillman's story that he left the NFL and uh, you know decided to dive right into the United States Army and to try to make a difference, to try to serve. He was so, uh, so impassioned just by what had happened that uh, he wanted to do that and gave up few million dollars in the NFL. I don't know how many NFL, let alone any other uh, professional sports athletes would do that. I just can't, I, I, I just, I, 
I don't think they would do it. I don't think there's many. There maybe there's a couple. I don't know, but I doubt there's many of those guys out there that would do that. So it is really says a lot about the type of man Pat Tillman was. There's great foundations in his name to this day, and I think uh, you want to you want to talk about warriors. You know, there's all the always this talk about uh, warriors and uh, and fighting right on on a football field. Well, Pat Tillman was a true warrior on the football field and in the military uh he is uh he's missed every day by americans and but he i think he represents again what is great about america and sacrificing and uh, giving of yourself and uh it's it's sad that he's gone but we want to honor him every single day and we do want to honor him today on our suds with studs segment here on fridays mr tillman you are someone i would love to have a beer with i know uh, that will never happen but I promise you, if uh, if I ever had that opportunity in a next life or, or some other time, that I would love to have a beer with you, and I would absolutely be buying, sir. So thank you for your service. Thank you for being a wonderful example to all the men and women out there in the United States. It's people like you that truly do make this country special. So Pat Tillman is our special honoree this week on Suds with Studs. Okay, today on the program, we are joined by Michael Frain. Michael is a college football official. He also does some college baseball as well as an umpire. Uh, our paths have crossed in both sports, actually. We've worked probably more football together than baseball. Uh, Michael is doing great things in football. He works at the Division three level, uh, you know, with, I'm sure, aspirations to uh, achieve higher things there. Uh, Michael was actually the referee in the 2017 NCAA Division three national championship game. He worked that game with a couple of my friends, just a great, uh, I, I can't say enough how, uh, how happy I was for him and some of my other friends in that game. Uh, he currently works as a Disney software engineer. So we'll talk about a lot of different things. He's joining us today from just outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So let's welcome him. Michael Frain. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Glad to be here, man. Good to, good to talk to you again. It's been, it's, been, it's been a minute. Absolutely, man. It definitely has. And, uh, and Michael, you, you're in uh, Grand Rapids or just outside. Uh, I was fortunate to spend some time there in 2011 in the, uh, the, the Midwest League, uh, touring kind of your neck of the woods that year uh, in the, the multiple places in Michigan and where you are from is Chicago area. So, uh, yeah, what can you tell me about what Michigan is like these days in the summer of 2020? It's uh, quiet, but it's hot and humid right now. It's about 85 degrees. You know, I haven't sweat this much in a few months because I've been out in California in the drier heat. But uh, yeah, Midwest League, that, that brings back some memories. I, went to, I, I always went to the King County Cougars games when I was living in Chicago. And every time we'd, every time we'd come back out here to the house, we'd take, I'd take my kid to a West Michigan Whitecaps game. And so we're oh, yeah. Minor League Baseball right now, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate that it's it's gone away, and you know I, I hope it'll come back strong next year. But yeah, some great cities in the Midwest League, some great towns. You mentioned a few. You know, Michael, as someone who grew up in California, uh, that's the coldest I've ever been in my life. Was the April and May in the Midwest, and, and for us Californians, April and May generally aren't cold. So, uh, but man, that was quite an experience. I don't know how you grew up in the Midwest uh, all those years. You know, you get used to it, and after a while, you actually, you know. You just tough out the cold, but I, I'm not ashamed to say that my blood has been two years, or a little bit since a few years. I've been living in California now. 
<laughs> well, that sound you hear in the background is a little bit of wind out there in Michigan too. The, again, the weather changes every five minutes, it seems like, in that, that part of the country. Yeah, it does, but it's nice. We actually had some storms yesterday and, you know, the clouds rolled through in the morning and then in the afternoon and evening it was nice, quiet sun, you know, mid-70s and enjoy, enjoy beer on the porch and all that. And today it's a little warmer, a little wind, but uh, it's always a little more interesting. Yeah, oh, definitely, man. Yeah, that, wind, that wind's kicking in, man. Uh, anyway, uh, well, well, Michael, as someone, you know, our paths crossed in California working football together, but tell me about kind of growing up in the Chicago area, uh, you know, what it was like just, just growing up, and, and when exactly did you move out to California? Well, growing up in Chicago, it's, you know, it's just big city living. We lived in the suburbs and uh, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed life out there. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been a Midwesterner almost my entire life and um, moving out to California was, it was definitely, uh, let's say it was just culture. We, um, we actually, my wife and I decided in 2012, after we got married, we were going to move to California and it was not for a job. It wasn't for any other reason other than we just wanted to have an adventure. And so um, one of her aunts actually suggested when we get married that we uh, adhere to the 500 mile rule, which is you move 500 miles away from any immediate family and you figure out how to be married. So <laughs> my wife suggested California and I was, I had no good reason not to go with that. So we, we uh, bought a new car, threw our stuff in, threw our stuff in a moving van and then went into storage and we took a month and we road trip from Chicago to LA. And where, whereabouts in LA did you guys move to? We ended up uh, settling in Woodland Hills, and okay. uh, uh, we we didn't even have an apartment in mind. We actually rolled into town and just went apartment hunting for two days, and we found a place that worked in Woodland Hills and lived there for a couple of years. And then we moved to Simi Valley because we liked we liked being able to be in the LA area, but not to deal with all the taxes and stuff in LA <laughs> County. And Simi Valley is right over the hill. We still get all the benefits of LA, but without you know paying quite that much. Yeah. Oh, that, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I got to ask you, as a guy who uh, grew up outside of California, did did you have kind of this these already opinions about California and maybe Californians uh, before you came here? And and also, was it? Uh, you said it was a culture shock. So did you not kind of expect? some of the things you saw when you moved out here or kind of what were some of the eye-opening experiences you had when you first moved out here? You know, I, I was not, I, I always thought about, and I always dreamed about living in a place where you didn't have to bundle up in, in December and January because uh, it was too cold out. So I, I really enjoyed it. We moved out, we got out there in uh, like late October, early November. And, um, it was great to, you know, 75 degrees, you know, wearing t-shirt and shorts. Um, but, you know, I, I, I didn't realize how much I would enjoy that. As far as the people go, you know, it's, there's just a much wider range of personalities. You know, you go, you can go to the beach, you can go to the mountains and just see all sorts of interesting people. Um, definitely, definitely people in mindsets that you wouldn't see in the Midwest. Um, but, you know, I, I, and and to go back to the to the weather thing, you know, I, I love wearing shorts and t 
t-shirts in the middle of winter and then all of a sudden it'd be 60 degrees and you'd see people in in puffy coats and i'm like that is not quite what i expected we're yeah we're a little soft out here i'll say it i mean uh we we are i mean yeah it gets uh yeah 60 degrees and everyone starts freaking out it's like guys this is like uh springtime for most people not you know our winners are nothing so uh jackets aren't aren't so bad but yeah i'm with you i i like i like wearing shorts and just kind of being carefree and everything uh i mean we're going to kind of talk about a lot of different things uh michael but like as far as people who don't live in chicago who aren't from chicago you know it's a place where uh i think there it gets this reputation for a lot of crime and LA has plenty of its issues as well. I mean, do, is it, you were in the suburbs, but do, has Chicago kind of always been that way with just this, like the being known for kind of crime outside of the, you know, the good things, the pizza and the beer and all that other good stuff. But you know what, you know what I'm trying to ask? I, I do. And, you know, I think to a certain extent, it gets a bad rap. There are obviously hoods that you don't want to go, you don't want to get caught in after dark or something like that. But I think a lot of people mistake, you know, kind of, kind of working class, solid, you know, just quiet neighborhoods for that. Um, you know, everybody likes to joke that the South Side you don't you, you don't want to get caught in the South Side after dark. But yeah. you know, you go you go down you go down Halstead, thirty third, thirty fifth, thirty seventh Street, that Bridgeport Armor Square neighborhood. It's not a bad neighborhood. I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I love being down there, and I think Armor Square and Bridgeport could give Wrigleyville a run for its money any day. Um, <laughs> might be a little biased because I'm a White Sox fan, but still, I think I do think it gets a little bit of a bad rap, and it's unfortunate because there's some really neat, neat little pockets of the city that don't get noticed because everybody's talking about that Wrigleyville, Lincoln Park is always the way to go in terms of where you want to go in the city. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's understandable. There's, there's, uh, there's bad places everywhere, we'll say. Uh, every city has a bad part of it, I would, I would venture to say. But anyway, you're talking about the South Strata of Chicago. Uh, I've been to Wrigleyville. I've driven past uh, the White Sox Stadium a few times, so I haven't uh, you know, hung out in the area you've talked about. Obviously, Wrigley Field, Wrigleyville gets all the headlines. Uh, I've enjoyed my experiences there. But uh, what can you tell me about what made you choose the White Sox or what, what, what kind of makes people uh, go towards the White Sox versus the Cubs or vice versa in general for us uh, LA fans out here? Well, yeah, a lot of it has to do with where you're born in the city. I was actually born on the South suburbs. So everybody's White Sox fans down there, but it's really, it, it, if you're born in Chicago and your family's a, a baseball fan, it's usually passed on through, through your family. And my dad was dyed in the wool White Sox fan from birth. And so that's just kind of how it ended up, ended up being. I was, uh, I was uh, doomed to be a White Sox fan, I guess. So. <laughs> and as far as other sports in Chicago, um, since, you know, you didn't really move out here until you were an adult, what, what were some of the other uh, teams you would follow in, in the other sports? I mean, cause Chicago is kind of one of those cities. Uh, well, I guess out with baseball, there's two teams, but with everything else, it's pretty much just one team, right? Yeah, with football, it's, a, it's always the Bears, and you know you get the smattering of uh, of uh, people moved out of area who were Vikings or Packers fans, and they get they get no end of grief from us. Um, but I was I was lucky to live in Chicago during the height of Michael Jordan's uh, 
Michael Jordan's time with the Bulls. So uh, the Bulls were the Bulls were the hot ticket all through the 90s. And I got to see a few games. My first Bulls game, of course, Jordan only scored 18 points and they lost to the Sixers like 90 to 86 or something. So that was that was a disappointment. But um, and more recently, the Blackhawks and everybody's everybody's still a Blackhawks fan. Um, I've been I've been a hockey fan probably even longer than I've been a basketball fan. So. Well, you know, we all had that opportunity to watch The Last Dance, and did, did you? I'm sure you got a chance to watch that as well. I did. And what, and what were you? Because for me, I, I loved every second of it. I thought it was yeah. a really good uh, look into Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So, as a Bulls fan yourself, someone from Chicago, what was the experience like in watching uh, that documentary for you? You know, it was a little bit of nostalgia for me because I remember watching a lot of those games. I remember where I was for both repeats. I remember I didn't even watch game six of the 93 finals because my family was out in Orlando and we were sitting on, we were sitting on the monorail headed back to the hotel when somebody said Paxson just hit a three pointer to win the game. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I just missed it. Of course we didn't get back in time, but uh, I saw the 98, the 98 finals. And I remember sitting in the living room watching the game, you know, and just the whole, it, it was nice to relive that part of my childhood and, uh, you know, I, I, nothing, not too much really surprised me because you hear the stories, you read, you know, the deep dive articles that come out every so often. And I read books like the Jordan rules and, you know, other books that Chicago Tribune and Chicago Sun-Times columnists had put out through, throughout the years regarding that. So not too much was new material, but it was nice to take that trip down memory lane. As someone from a great sports city uh, like Chicago, and, and I'm speaking from a Californian here, uh, great, great fans in Chicago uh, mm -hmm. for, for all their sports. They really are. What can you tell me and speak freely about uh, your take having lived here on LA fans? And I know there's a lot of LA fans from maybe other places around the country and everything, but mm -hmm. what are your general thoughts on what LA sports fans are like out here? You know, I feel like it depends on the sport. You know, LA sports fans, you know, Dodgers are, there's, there's all sorts of diehard Dodgers fans. And, you know, there's not really a divide between, at least I haven't seen between Dodgers fans and Angels fans. Angels fans are all down in Orange County. You don't see a lot of them up here, but everybody up here is a Dodgers fan. And I like the passion they have for that, for that, uh, for the team. And I love going to Dodger Stadium to watch games too. It's a historic place, you know, and, like I said, for all the sports, everybody's got a different view. Basketball, you know, you can tell there's 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 a very specific divide between the Lakers and Clippers fans. And, um, you know, the Lakers fans, they love the Hollywood. They love the glitz and glamour. I mean, the lighting scheme in Staples Center is different for Lakers games than it is for Clippers games. So, and then Clippers fans, you know, they, they it, I, I, I almost feel like Clippers and Kings fans are kind of uh kind of similar in that they've had success but they they're the Rodney Dangerfield types and don't get any respect type deal <laughs> I I do think it's a Laker town overall mm -hmm. and, and I think the Dodgers are probably a very close second and and outside of that all the other teams kind of uh kind of mix in together I you know I'm a, I'm a big Los Angeles Rams fan but you know there's not many LA football team fans here or as many as there are in most cities take Chicago for instance because there's so many transplants here but also mm -hmm. NFL didn't it was it wasn't here for 27 years or whatever it is so right. I understand people rooting for other teams from all over the place uh, but I mean can you imagine uh, Michael I mean not having 
say Chicago, for instance, just they're not being NFL in that city mm -hmm. for 20 something years. Could, you know, I, I can't. And it, <laughs> it seems weird to think about it. But at the same time, despite their not having been in the NFL in L.A. for a long time, I feel like the football culture here is really neat uh, for nothing else other than you can find a hub for pretty much any any team in the city. Every team has at least two or three bars that are you you consider them Bears bars or Lions bars or 49ers bars or Kansas City Chiefs bars. You can find any single you can find you can find two or three of those in the city. And it doesn't matter what team it is, which I think is really neat. You can't really find that anywhere else. That is very true. That that is something that is very unique in LA. Uh, it has there's many reasons for it, of course, but mm -hmm. I, it is a uniqueness to it. I, I hope that over time, maybe that maybe there's a bigger fan following of uh, the LA Rams. But who, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. I will say, as a hockey guy, uh, you, you're you you've been around the sport and watched it probably closer than I have over your lifetime. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've definitely branched out and watched a lot more. LA Kings hockey the, probably the past 10, 15 years than I did the, my first 15 years or 20 years of life or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love the sport. I love the fact that hockey is this, is just this uh, in your face, their strategy too, but just this, this toughness. I mean, every, every single whistle, it seems like guys want to fight and oh, referees yeah. have to break it up. I mean, what are you, what are your general thoughts on hockey and why you love it so much? Those guys make the money. They, they earn every single cent of their paycheck every night, the, the, the hockey officials. But you're right. I just love the sport. It's, it's fast moving. It's free flowing. You know, you watch, you watch other sports and there are certain times in every game where you feel like the clock is just dragging a little bit. You know, maybe the action is a little slower, but I think in hockey, and I really think that this is more evident even in the playoffs, there, there is no slowing down. There is no, no letting up. And the time in hockey games just moves so quickly. And it seems to move even more quickly if your team's down a goal with 10 minutes in the third period. And it moves – the, the action doesn't slow down, but the clock seems to slow down if you're up one or two in the third period. So it's, it's – for the for those reasons alone, I really love watching hockey. Even though I I, I never learned to skate, I could never play. <laughs> I have no idea how those guys, the players and the officials, skate as well as they yeah. do. It's insane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love going to hockey games. I think the Kings have a pretty good fan base, but it's not as widely popular maybe as you know the Lakers and the Dodgers mm -hmm. and everything. Uh, but yeah, hockey games are a blast. I, I got absolutely actually a couple months ago. I was in Vegas, got to see a game in that arena, uh, the Kings and the Golden Knights. Oh, my goodness. What an experience that was. I've heard that's something else. Oh, my goodness. If you're a hockey fan, I, you you got to get to Vegas and see a game mm -hmm. there. That's, that's incredible stuff. Yep. Uh, well, well, let me ask you, Michael, a little bit about uh, your job outside of sports. You work for Disney. You're a software engineer. Did that all start as a result of you moving to California or kind of what were you doing before you came out here if, if kind of that wasn't the case? No, actually, I was, a, uh, I was a professional musician for about a decade right when I got out of college. I was graduated, graduated initially from college in 04 and uh, became a studio musician and played in churches for a while. And then about 2009, I wanted to, I decided I wanted to go back to school. I realized that music wasn't going to pay the bills forever. And it, it was, it was starting to become a grind. So I went back to school and uh, went to Loyola, Chicago, studied physics and math. 
and got really involved in the computer side of things there. And when my wife and I moved to LA in 2012, I started looking for jobs in the computer sector and worked a couple of different places. Um, you know, got a little more experience uh, just, in the, uh, just in the corporate side of things. And in 2014, I uh, was hired by Huddle, which you, you and I both know that's it's a big, big uh, sports video platform and worked for them for a little while, for almost three and a half years, actually. Um, and in March of 2017, um, I, uh, I ended up uh, getting a job. I was uh, pointed um, in the direction of Disney by a colleague of mine who uh, lived in Virginia. And he said, they're looking for software engineers. I can give your name to this guy I know really well. And so he, he did that and I applied and it, he actually worked for ESPN. This was before Disney kind of brought all of their software products under one, one uh, platform. So I was, I was actually hired initially by ESPN uh, to work on their iOS app and did that. And uh, then Disney kind of brought their products all under a single umbrella. I started working, uh, working with more of their software products. Now I'm, uh, now I'm a iOS software engineer for ESPN app, the ABC app, basically all of, all of their, you know, online TV apps that, uh, that you can download and watch whatever you want on there. So, so when I get my ESPN updates to my phone with the little magic ringtone, mm -hmm. uh, you had something to do with that. Is that what you're telling me? That is exactly what I'm telling you. Wow. Well, you know what? I think there's a lot of people listening now that are like, oh man, that's the guy. He pushes the button. <laughs> he makes all that magic happen. And see, we, we're learning stuff here as we talk there to our guests. There you go. That there is outstanding. Go. I, uh, I got to come up with a nice title for your episode now, ESPN Magic Man <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, a couple questions, first of all. Okay. So you went to Loyola Chicago as when you went back to school. Where mm -hmm. did you go to school previously? I went to Clark College, which is a small, uh, small uh, D three now NAIA school in Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. There's, uh, there's three. Uh, there's uh, there's three Catholic colleges there. Loris, uh, or there's two Catholic colleges and one uh, one Presbyterian college there that kind of comprise that system. It's Loris College and University of Dubuque, and I went to Clark, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed my time there. I was, I I love Dubuque. I love going back to visit. Don't know that I could ever live there, but it's a it's a great town to great town to uh, go to school in for sure. Awesome. And so and, and then my other question was, you talked about being a musician. What what mm -hmm. instrument was uh, your line of work in? I played piano. I was uh, uh, when I uh, when I graduated, most of my work was in jazz and more popular music. But I was classically trained and uh, also also studied voice while I was at Clark. Oh, very cool. Well, Chicago, great city, great city. For oh, me. absolutely. Yeah, especially jazz. Absolutely. The history there, un unbelievable. Well, you mentioned Loyola Chicago, and I went, wait a minute. <laughs> they were, back when we used to have a, a March That's, Madness, they were just yep. in the final four. That's the one. Yep. We were, we were, uh, all, all of, all of us, uh, uh former, former students and alumni were so happy that, uh, that they went as far as they did. And I actually went back and saw, saw them play before everything got shut down. I took my son to, uh, took my son to a game there and uh, they've renovated the gym since then, but uh, it's, it, it was a great time and they've got the final four banner hanging up in the, up in the stadium now. And it was, I, I was, I was happy to see that. 
man, 2018, what a run. Uh, Eventually lost to Michigan in the final four, but uh, you got to say, I I just, I love that story when it Mm -hmm. is a smaller, lesser known school that makes a run like that, whether it be George Mason and uh, you know, in the earlier two thousands and then, you know, uh, who was the other uh, Butler? They went deep a few times, and then and then Loyola Chicago. That was a school that wrecked all kinds of brackets. But I'm sure you were just uh, along for the ride and loving it. You know, I was happy that they busted my bracket. I had them going to the Sweet 16 that year, but I didn't think they'd go as far as they did. I figured I figured they'd get a couple wins. I knew I knew Miami would be a good uh, matchup for them, but uh, yeah, who knew who knew they'd go as far as they did? Not that I'm complaining about it by any means. Oh, man. I think, you know, that's something that's lost. Uh, you know, some of these guys who go to really big schools, go to USC, you go to Michigan, you know, they got these big sports traditions to be proud of and everything. But sometime when you go to some of these lesser known schools, or, or maybe not lesser known, but lesser known for sports, uh, you know, it's cool when your school goes far. And, and I've always been a guy, Michael, that has said, I, I hate when people say we you know, talking as a fan about, you know, your bears. Oh yeah. We didn't, we didn't play well today. It's like, well, you're not on the team, but I make an (laughs) exception for colleges. I'm like, if you went to school there, you can absolutely say we, so I, Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) And you know, and people, people talk about Loyola being this, this, uh, you know, kind of unknown school, but they're still, and I, I love bringing this up to anybody, especially the university of Illinois fans. (laughs) Um, I love being able to say they are the only Illinois school to win a division one national championship. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to, happy to bring that up whenever, whenever need be. And they want it, you know, they, they, they were, they were Texas Western before Texas Western was Texas Western. So they, uh, they, uh, celebrated that a couple of years ago as well. The 50th anniversary of the, uh, they called it the game of change which, you know, that, that was a, that was a, uh, I, I, I won't go into the specifics of it, but that was uh, they facing Mississippi state during that time in the national championship. That was, that was something that, that was a, uh, that was quite a game. Interesting stuff, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, you know, we all have heard of Loyola Chicago, but yeah, not so much their basketball program. And, and I love that dig at the Illinois fans. That's great stuff. That's, that's what makes sports just fantastic is being able to uh talk a little smack to your to your rivals and uh, have something to show for it great stuff oh man well uh yeah we didn't know we were gonna talk about that stuff necessarily that's great so we're we're on the disney espn app software stuff uh great stuff there um so how long have you been working with disney now i've been there for almost three years it'll be three years in october so okay um, really just really enjoy what I do on a daily basis. And you mentioned Huddle. And for those that don't know, Huddle is a, is a software where basically coaches can exchange game film um, online without having to exchange a, a DVD or anything like that. It just, uh, you can watch the game film and break down plays and everything. It's been so helpful for officiating, football officiating specifically. Mm-hmm. It's just great to have the ability to look at game film pretty quick and uh, in Michael, so kind of transitioning to football now, did you, when, when you were out in California, had you had any football officiating experience before coming out here? I did. I had, uh, I had, uh, I'd worked high school football for a number of years. I was a crew chief um, in the IHSA and um, 
had just kind of started getting my feet wet with college football, but really coming out here um, kind of fast tracked that a little bit for me. It was interesting. I came out here and um, I had, I worked a, worked a season of baseball. Um, I didn't, uh, we, we came out right after, right after the football, right at the tail end of football season. So I didn't really get involved in it until the next spring, but I went to a, an officiating camp, uh, Camp Oxy in, uh, I think they, I think it was hosted at uh, East LA College that year. And I just wanted to get some snaps in. I hadn't had live snaps in about six or seven months at that point. And um, this guy, this guy comes down, you know, comes down, starts a conversation. He says, I like the way you look here. Give me a call. You know, we'll get you involved with the NFL scouting program. And I had no idea who this guy was. Um, hands me his card. It's Judson Howard, replay official in the Mountain West Conference, who's now one of my, one of my, uh, one of my close mentors. And that, that interaction along with, you know, meeting other people kind of really fast-tracked my uh, entry into college in general. Yeah, uh, you know, you've excelled in college football and really, uh, you know, progressed quickly and achieved a lot of great things. Uh, the first time I remember working with you, we were at Santa Monica Community College, uh, day game. It was a hot day, but, uh, you, you yep. know, when you, when you go into work with new officials, I try to tell this to my non-referee uh, friends. I'm like, when you go to work with new guys you've never met before, you have no idea what to expect. Nothing at all. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of a nervous type feeling, um, but you also got to be loose enough to be like, you know what, whatever happens, I got to be me. We got to try to coexist and work together. But I can honestly say that day was a very pleasant experience for me uh, because we was, I knew one other guy in the crew, I think. We got together, we worked the ball game. And kind of when you're just starting out in community college, that's kind of how it is. You're just working with a, a new group of six guys every single Saturday that you generally don't know. So kind of tell me what that experience has been like, Michael, uh, starting out and just like working with guys that you've never met before, but you got to go excel on the field with. You know, you're all there. You may not know them, but you're all working toward a common goal. And in, you know, in the, in the case of football games, you're, you're there to make sure that you turn the next three hours into something resembling a football game. Carl Cheffers actually, uh, Carl Cheffers actually uh, gave me that idea for a pregame once upon once you know once upon a time. He said, "How are we going to go into this event and turn it into a football game?" And you know, you want to go out there. You 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 go out there with kind of with the principle of charity. You assume everybody is on at a certain level. You discuss the fundamentals. What do you need to what do you need to make sure happens during the course of a day? And then you go out there and you work your game and you go out there, work hard, have fun. If you, you mess things up, you mess things up, things happen. But at the end of the day, you know, you just have to bear in mind you're all out there for that one specific purpose to turn what you're doing into a football game. Uh, that's very well said. I mean, that's something that I think some guys, some guys get a little too in depth, maybe a little too carried away, and they forget that hey, this is a this is a football game. That this is all this is. Like, mm -hmm. slow down, settle down. Um, and so, what can you speak on, Michael? To okay, you're 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 generally a, a white hat, if not all the time, the referee, the head guy, the crew yeah. chief. And what can you talk to me about 
that fine line of being prepared, being detailed, but maybe occasionally uh, overdoing it, overprepared. I've heard guys in the NFL talk about that. They say, yeah, we talk too much about something and then uh, we neglected other things or, you know, we, we, we prepared too much in one way. And so we weren't relaxed, but at the same time, you got to have some foundation and some structure to maybe a pregame and what you're doing. Right. So what can you tell me about kind of both of those lines and crossing over them? Well, you're right. And there is, there is the possibility that you can overprepare in certain ways. You don't necessarily, you know, you want to talk about certain things. You want to talk about the fundamentals and you want to discuss to make sure that, Hey, we're going to cover a, B and C, but really where you can get into the overpreparedness is getting tunnel vision on a specific, on a specific topic. Um, you know, you can discuss a play at length. You can review a video clip of a play at length. And all of a sudden you've spent 30 minutes on this one specific and potentially not necessarily, you know, feasible scenario that may or may not happen during your game. Whereas you've neglected four other fundamentals that you only need a couple minutes to touch on, but at the same time need to be touched on all of a sudden, if you've neglected that, then you may have neglected, you may have neglected the most important part of your pregame. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I said, especially working in college football, you assume that the, your colleagues have a certain have a, have a certain standard that they've already met. So we don't have to go and reinvent the wheel with every single pregame. We don't have to say, okay, well, this is where you stand for this play. This is where you stand for this play. This is what you do on this play. You know, at at that at this level now, at the junior college, at the D three level, it's all about okay, we know what to do. How are we going to work together when certain, when certain scenarios come up? And what are we going to do to fine-tune our actions to mesh with the rest of the crew? Yeah, yeah, I hear you there. And, you know, what's interesting with, with football officiating is that it's, it's one day a week. It's Saturdays, uh, we'll say. You, know, you might do high school also, but in general, Saturdays, you're talking college football specifically – um, so there's a lot of natural kind of buildup there's for the teams. They prepare all week. They practice all these days for the one, three hour game. Uh, and for us, it's a lot of communication, maybe video review, maybe some zoom calls, uh, conference calls and, and kind of getting on that same page. Uh, you talked about working with new guys, but you and I both progressed to a level where we were then on crews where you're working with generally the same guys every week. So how is your approach different maybe with pregame and running a crew uh, when you are working with the same guys for eight, nine, 10 weeks versus uh, when you're working with new guys when you're just getting started? Well, when you're working with a crew, you can build on your experiences from week to week. You don't have to review the fundamentals on a week to week basis because you've already, you continue to work on them on a week to week basis. Your sideline, the sideline partners, the sideline pairings, the front four, the deep officials, they all work on those fundamentals on a play by play basis. So you don't have to go back and discuss that on a weekly basis. You can instead take what you've learned from the previous week, any mistakes that you've made, anything that you've learned from your work the past week or two weeks or four weeks, however long it is at that point and say, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to implement this and this is going to fix what lingering issues may be. Whereas if you're working with a new group of people, you, to a certain extent, you do have to make sure that all the fundamentals are covered and it doesn't matter who you're with. I mean, you don't have that shared, you don't have that shared body of work over the last few weeks, which 
it's not bad. It's not good. It's just what it is. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it's like, okay, we're just going to review the fundamentals. Um, you know, we've got a clean slate this week. If we work together in the future, you can, you can take what you've learned and go with it, you know, implement it when we work together in the future, or you can implement it when you work with your next crew next week or however, however the scheduling is going to work. So it's, it's not better. It's not worse. It's just a different approach. Yeah, very much so. And, and a guest reminded me earlier this week I had on, he said, you know, the famous Mike Tyson uh, quote, uh, you know, everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the face. And, and there, there's some truth to that in football. You can prepare and talk and take all these tests and do all these different things off the field you want. But ultimately, as soon as that ball's kicked off, you, you better uh, know what you're doing and how to react and how to trust each other. Uh, so game plans are great. Uh, they're good for almost anything. But at the same time, uh, once the ball gets kicked off, I think that's where you really see who can sink or swim, who can officiate the, the football game. Sorry, you cut out there for a second. Can you oh, repeat that? No problem. Sorry about that. No problem. Those you have some company there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Mike Tyson with the whole, you know, getting punched in the face. You can have a game plan until you get punched in the face. But in general, uh, once the football is kicked off, that is where you really see if if officials can really work the game because it's no longer taking a test or talking about the game. We now have to physically go work the game. Yeah, you you do have to go work the game and. You know, that, that's a good way of putting it. And that's, they tell us in every single clinic, in every single meeting we go to, you know, these mechanics are written as a good starting point. These put you in position to see what you need to see to work your best game. So ultimately, you know, they, they've written these mechanics in mind with the ability to go and work a college football game with six other qualified individuals and you don't have to worry, you, in theory, you shouldn't have to worry about that. You'll know where your sideline partner is looking, where the deep officials are looking. Um, it's really, and th this, is the, this is the idea at least I strive for, is that pregame meeting is now going to fill in the little gaps, you know, the when in doubts, the what happens if this happens, where are you looking if this happens? Because obviously football is not a game that's played on the page, it's played on the field. <laughs> Yes, uh, I think some people forget that, but uh, ultimately, I think the most people uh, involved do understand that concept. Uh, well, Michael, in 2017, you, among uh, some of our colleagues, had a tremendous opportunity, a, a great honor to work the Division Three National Championship game. You currently work, uh, or, or where we kind of worked some more, is in the SCIAC, which is the Division Three football conference out in California. So you were selected among our, our other peers to work the NCAA Division Three National Championship football game in 2017. Uh, just tell me about that experience from, from getting the phone call to flying out there with the guys to uh, working the game, what that whole concept was like. I remember watching it and just being so proud of you guys. But tell me, uh, tell our listeners kind of what it was all like working a game at the highest level uh, of the current uh, – of a, 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 a championship caliber of the level that you were working at the time? It was, let me tell you, it was an excellent, excellent experience. And the whole week, you know, I, I, I was, I was advised by many people, take it in as much as you can because it'll be over before you know it. And we were, we got the call the Wednesday of the semifinals. Uh, so we had about a week and a half to prepare and, uh, um, 
we were very lucky. We, uh, the crew that was selected was the crew that worked uh, up at Linfield for a first round game. And we were informed after the fact that we had received a perfect score from our video evaluator. And that, ne that never happened in the Sky Act. That very rarely happens in the playoffs in general. So um, our supervisor, you know, didn't want to get us, didn't want to, didn't want to instill any false hope, but said, Hey, you might want to, you might want to clear your schedule in mid-December. Um, so it, it ultimately did happen. I remember I got the call. I was actually, uh, I had just started at ESPN and I had got, and I got the call um, from our supervisor as I was uh, getting off the train into downtown LA. And the uh, first person I called after I got off the phone with him, I called my wife and said, I guess I'm going to Virginia in a week. Um, but the whole experience was just, it was, it was amazing. You know, I, I, I'm very lucky out here as well that I have so many uh, mentors and, and uh, colleagues that are just willing to talk. I know I gave, I called three or four different referees and just picked their brain on various subjects. You know, how do you, how do you work a championship game? You know what we, we were very lucky. We were the second crew uh, in conference history to be selected for the championship game. So I called the referee who worked it back in 2011 and said, okay, logistics, what should I expect? And that, that was very helpful because I got a chance to, I got a chance to, you know, kind of know it was coming and to, to a certain extent, you know, the logistics for 17 matched his experience, which was, was good. And then um, flying out to, flying out to uh, Salem, Virginia is a long trip. I took a, took a Wednesday night red eye. So, uh, I was uh, a little tired waking up on Thursday. Thankfully, I got a good night's sleep Thursday night going into Friday. Um, but the crew was just uh, the the crew was just fantastic as well. They uh, I, I, I I I love talking about it with them still to this day because it was just it, it was an amazing experience from beginning to end even though it was a little cold out there that weekend. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of my friends, I, I believe were on that game. I mean, Danny Vargas was the umpire. Mm -hmm. he, yep. he, he is one of the best uh, umpires I've ever worked with. And, and just a guy I love working with because you know how it is. It's fun to bust each other's chops and just, oh, yeah. just stay loose, have a good time. Uh, JC Holt, very good friend of mine. Uh, it was great to see him t get selected for that. So those are just a few of the names. But to see you on the, you know, you reporting the penalties and everything, it was very surreal for all of us watching. We're like, man, this is the Southern California crew work in this game. This is pretty awesome. And yeah, it's not the college football national championship, big playoff, you know, that they put on now with uh, the big SEC schools and everything. But every level of football has a, has a championship and every level of college football has a national championship. So uh, it had to just be a tremendous honor. To, to it was, play. it was. And, you know, I, I, I still think back about it. I loved, I, I loved everything about that weekend. And, you know, we, we still reminisce Danny Vargas, actually, we, uh, we, we still give him crap because uh, he had the first flag of the game, not until the second quarter. And we didn't hear the, we didn't hear the commentary until we got to the, the restaurant uh, we went to that night, replayed the game on ESPN. I think we actually asked them to turn it on, but we heard the sound and we didn't know it at the time, but the announcer was actually remarking on the uh, poor condition of Danny's flag. So yes. we, we, to this day, we still give him grief about that. 
That's right. They zoomed in on it and everything. They're like, really? This is a flag you got? Like, it was hilarious. I remember yep. texting him and giving him so much grief for that stuff, too. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was just a great time, and it was, over, it was over far too quickly, but those things usually are, I find. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. You know, we, we've both had opportunities to kind of work different levels of championship games. And uh, yeah, it's over in a blink of an eye, but that's what you work for. You work to, no matter the level you work in, you want to work one more game, right? And exactly. yeah, and, and when you work that game, that was the final game of the season. It's special knowing, man, there is no, there is no more games after this. Yeah. This is the, the last yeah. one. <laughs> well, well, Michael, if you can tell me, um, I believe it was either last year uh, you still work a little bit of high school football. Is that right? I do. I do. Okay. And, and if I'm not mistaken, you had an opportunity to work a pretty big high school game last year, was it? I did. Yes, I had. Uh, it was the CIF final between Notre Dame and John Bosco. And, say, uh, say that one more time. You was, cut, out, was, uh, you cut I, out for a second. Say it one more time. I was, it was the, uh, it was the uh, uh, CIF Southern section final between Notre Dame and St. John Bosco which are the uh, number one, number two teams in the, uh, in the, uh, basically in the nation. Yeah. Yeah. That was a heck of a game. And, and I actually talked to Joe Baldino on this mm -hmm. podcast, not too long ago about that game and that experience. And I remember watching it on TV again and, and sure enough, like it looked like it was going to be a blowout and then, but never, never uh, accept anything. Cause a game could turn on you like that. Right. And it's turned yeah. into a heck of a game. Yeah. Well, we, we had a conversation at halftime and it was, it was about it was about to go into halftime. At the, the score was going to be twenty-eight to five, and then Bosco scored a touchdown right near the end of the half. So it was twenty-eight to twelve. And I, I remember telling the guys specifically, "Hey, this is not over. This game is not over. Don't don't lose focus for even a even a second. And I was I was extremely happy with the crew's performance the entire game. They were focused from the from the word go. And it's it's hard not to be focused in that kind of game. But once you know, once all the once all the uh, uh, all the uh, pomp and circumstances over before the game, you still got a football game to officiate. It's, mm -hmm. We we discuss you know one of the things we discuss in those types of pregames is still the same game you've been officiating for three or four months prior to today. But on the flip side of it, it's also the same game you've been officiating three or four months, you know, prior to today. So you still have, as well as the same, the same, you know, the same memory, you still have the same pitfalls that you have to avoid. And, and, you know, just kind of real quick about high school football and college football, you work, you work both levels, or at least you, mm -hmm. you did recently, but what, what would you tell me about, I guess the differences in working college football versus high school football, or maybe the product on the field. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a football game, but it's two different levels. So what can mm -hmm. you tell our listeners kind of about maybe your approach or maybe just how the game is officiated and played at each level differently? Well, obviously the big difference is the rule books, you know, there's different rules and uh, you know, I, I, it, it, it can it, the, those differences can come up to, come up to bite you at any time. I had a play during the final last year. Um, it was a it was an accepted an accepted penalty on a touchdown play in college football. It's very easy if it's not a personal foul. It's a declined penalty. That's not so in high school. But I enforced it like the college rule until my head linesman, who was a fellow official, came up and said, "Hey, high school rules, right?" <laughs> and that got my mind thinking. And he said, ah, and I realized that. So I, we were able to correct the mistake and we had the scenario pop up a couple more times during the, during the game. 
and we did we had no issue with it after that point but obviously the rules are the big one and they there's some you know there there's some uh uh there there's some interesting differences between it. it's not just the the obvious differences as well there there can be some uh some detailed differences in there um but even more than the rules the philosophies yeah you know we we talk a lot about you know there are certain philosophies you know what what specific acts what tight what potential fouls have an impact on the game versus they don't have an impact on the game holding is always a big one everybody wants every hold called on the play but how does a hold affect the play potential acts of holding are going to are going to affect plays in high school differently than college because there's there's more physical there's more physical presence you know presumably in college um the strategies are different so you need to tailor your philosophies appropriately. And also with high school officials, you know, we've, we've started to get to the point where we want to teach them a little bit more about philosophies, but you, we generally find that high school officials, you know, because they may not be as experienced as some college officials, have a, take a longer time to grasp the idea of a philosophy, a when in doubt, uh, if this, then that type of mentality. Um, you know, but I think especially in the last two or three years, we've gotten a better job about teaching our high school officials whether or not they want to go to the next level or if they want to stick with high school football. You know, we've done a good job of teaching them, okay, this is why we want this called and this is why we would, in certain situations, we would not want this called. Yeah, I think it's the same with like high school players and college players. You're working, mm-hmm. it's two different type of people, two different level of skill we'll say and in high school you're trying to work on some basics for sure and there's really good high school officials there's really good college officials like it it varies in in the type of people that you work with Uh, Mm -hmm. I think football is unique in the sense that you work two different levels on back-to-back days at least for guys like you and me when I when I was working football anyway you know you work your Friday night high school game you turn right around and you work either a division three or JC or whatever level you're working you work a college game the next day. So you got to know both rules. Uh, but at the same time, I like the challenge because, because just working one game a week, I don't know, that's kind of boring to me. So getting to work more is great. I agree. And I, I feel like, you know, I, the Friday, the Friday game, the high school game to me is just as important as a Saturday game. But for me, it also serves as a very good warm up because it's usually pretty good football. Mm-hmm. And it also gives me the opportunity if I'm tweaking my mechanics somehow to maybe implement in a high school game and decide, okay, well that didn't work or it did work. I'm going to try this on Saturday as well. So it can be a proving ground uh, for, for things like that as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and Michael, I know you're a guy who has always had goals and aspirations and kind of as we wrap up our football talk here, uh, I mean, what, what are some of the things you see yourself doing uh, in, in the future? You're still working uh, at the SCIAC level for the Division Three conference out here in California, but I know you're currently in Michigan in the Grand Rapids area, maybe just for a short time. Uh, but but what kind of what, where do you see yourself uh, taking the, the football officiating career? You know, ultimately, I'd like to become, I'd like to work, you know, Division One football. I'm developmental in the, in the COC, which is the uh, Missouri Valley, the MAC, and the Big Ten uh, uh, conglomerate. Um, but I'd like to, I'd like to work Division One football. I'd like to have the big game on Saturdays. You know, I, the NFL is also an aspiration for me. But the, when you get to that level, it's just as much luck and who's watching you when as it is you know, hard work. So it, cause that, that, uh, 
that pyramid gets ever narrower toward the top. So, um, you know, if I, if, if all I were to do were work, work division one football, if, if, if all I were ever to do is work division three football, I would still be happy. But mm -hmm. my goals are to, to work the quote unquote, the big time. Oh, absolutely. And those are great goals to have. I mean, I think there's uh, there's dreams, there's goals, there's, there's everything in between. I think we got to have those things. Otherwise, uh, you know, what, what pushes us, what drives us. And, you know, I think you always got to be happy where you're at, but you always got to get a want to maybe get to that next level too. Uh, and some people they're happy where they're at too. So, uh, well, well, Michael, just kind of talking about uh, another sport that you do uh, is baseball. I, I do baseball. i I guess I'm more of a baseball guy, which is weird to say, cause I absolutely love football. I love everything about it. Uh, but I've done more baseball over the years, obviously, cause there's more games, available too so what can you tell me about your experience in umpiring baseball kind of when that started and uh you know what the uh, what what it's been like for you over the years well baseball's actually where i got my start even before football i went to uh i i, I got uh i got home from college my first my first uh, year of college and i didn't necessarily want to get the get the fast food or the you know the the soda fountain you know four hours, four hours a night job. I, even though I still did that, I wanted something, you know, a little, little more interesting. And I just found, I, I, uh, I went to a baseball game one day and I looked like the umpires were just having a blast. They really seemed to enjoy what they were doing. They were working hard. I'm like, I bet I could do that. So I called up the uh, umpire in chief of the local uh, little league in town and he needed umpires. So he, he got me set up. I bought a shirt and some protective gear and some pants and did like 30 or 40 youth games that year and went back to, went back to school the next fall with uh, some decent beer money <laughs> and kind of, kind of, kind of awakened something in me. I actually, uh, I went, I ended up doing like intramural basketball as well. And uh, it, that officiating bug going for me. Um, but I, I always stuck with baseball. I uh, ended up moving up to the high school level. I went to pro school in 05. Um, and it's always been a part of me. And in fact, it's, it's helped other, um, it's helped me in other, other sports as well. Uh, our, our supervisor in the Skyac, um, he had already been researching me and had heard about me but he wanted to get to know me. So he actually called up the division two assigner and said, I want to work a game with this guy. Can you make it happen? And we, we know that they have, have a, they, they have a very close working relationship. So he made it happen. He actually, the supervisor called me up um, about two weeks after my first kid was born and said, I need you to go here today or tomorrow. Or it was, it was, it was a last minute replacement. And I, I saw his number pop up and I, I, I was, I, I had just gotten hired by him. So it was, I already knew it's like, you know, this is not a guy that you, that you say no to, or you'll never work for him again. So I, uh, I, I, I cleared it with my wife who knew the official. So she knows, she knows when those types of supervisors call, you don't tell them no. So she got, she got it. She was perfectly fine with it. And I also told her that, I was probably going to be going out to out to lunch or dinner afterwards, and uh, I will will uh, I will need to do that as well. And she totally understood it as well. But uh, worked a, worked a game with him. But I I've always found it interesting how baseball kind of kind of has woven its way into my life, uh, umpiring over the last few years. 
Well, God bless your wife, man. She sounds yeah. pretty understanding and uh, she is. <laughs> gets the whole drill. Wow. Yep. That's good stuff. Uh, it's hard to do it without support. We all know that. Yep. Uh, uh, well, Mike, well, I mean, what can you tell me? You, you know, uh, obviously, I think football is what you've excelled most at, but you sound mm-hmm. like you have a, a love and a, and a soft spot for baseball as well. Uh, I mean, what can you tell me, if you could, in a couple sentences about just, you know, the differences really in in baseball and football, not necessarily the game. We know that, but maybe the approach to officiating, what officiating is like, because baseball, you do all these different games within a week. Football is this build up to one game and you can talk and talk and talk about it. Whereas baseball is like, Oh, let's just go do it again. So kind of what are your general thoughts on both sports? You know, for me, I really think that the similarities far outweigh the differences in that you're, you're constantly preparing and yeah, you're right. You do have more games in baseball than you do in football, but you're constantly preparing. You're constantly reviewing your performance. The, the biggest difference I see between baseball and football is if you make a mistake in a baseball game, well, you've got to get right back on the horse because you got another game tomorrow. You got this four game series. You can't (laughs) let, you know, you can't like let a mistake in game one mess you up for game two or game three of the series because you you will just get eaten alive where, in football, you know, you make a mistake, you review it, you chew on it, and you've got another six or seven days before you get to get back on the horse. And that, that requires a little bit of mental resiliency, I think. It's tough, to, it, it's tough to want to get back out there and do that. And God knows I made my share, and I wanted to get right back out there and fix it and do better. But you, you, you've got to have that kind of toughness to say, I will get out there. I know I can do it but it's not going to happen today. Uh, yeah, I, I think each sport is beautiful that way. And the fact that, hey, there's a new, a new day tomorrow. We can turn mm-hmm. the page quick. But football is, yeah, you, you, your mistakes are uh, blown up a little bit. And, uh, you know, you, you got to wait to kind of redeem yourself. And you're chomping at the bit. And you kick yourself a little bit more. And I, I could be talking about players right now, not even umpiring. Like that's – or officiating. Like that is how both sports – are beautiful in their own ways and ways that I like them both for, for those reasons. Uh, well, that's great stuff, Michael, as far as, you know, football and baseball, you just mentioned your wife and how uh, wonderfully supportive that she is. Uh, you, you also, um, you also are, have a unique uh, outlook as a dad because you are a dad of twins. You have twins and uh, were those the only two uh, kids you have, or do you say you have one other one? We have a five-year-old and, and the twins are two years old now. So wow. yes, they are, uh, <laughs> they are something else. Tell me what it's like. Okay. You got your first kid uh, and you went and umpired a game right after, <laughs> but mm-hmm. you, you yep. got, you got the twins. I mean, is that just double the fun, double the challenge? What's that like? It's, it, it's, it is double the fun and double the challenge, but they're, it's interesting because they are two, they, they are two extremely different people. You know, one of them is very quiet, reserved, and the other one just goes up to anybody and says hello. So just, just their mindsets as well. And it can be tough because you get one of them settled and the other one needs something and it can, it can get exhausting real fast, but we're also very lucky in that good big brother who helps out with things so it's not uh not not uh problematic to uh to help him ask him to do something um <laughs> to ask him to do something if 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 you're getting pulled in three or four different directions so 
<laughs> it's going to be a fun ride. I know that uh, with, with those ages, uh, especially two, five and then two mm-hmm. twins at, at two. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, man, you got your hands full, both of you guys. And you, yep. you, you mix in some time there to officiate sports still, which I think is great. I love your Instagram posts with your, you know, the kids and your data boys and dad of twins, all those hashtags and everything. Uh, just, a, just a great stuff. Uh, Michael, it sounds like things are going really well for you in officiating. You got the great family life. You guys are uh, bouncing around kind of uh, mm-hmm. Michigan and, and, and California. What, what are, what are some of the, your thoughts for uh, the future? Do you, do you think you're going to stay out in Michigan? You're going to kind of be there part-time. What are your thoughts on kind of where you're going to live over the next few years? You know, we're, we're still trying to figure all this out. The school thing is kind of our biggest issue right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, uh, with the changes in California, we're not sure, you know, how that's going to work. Um, but we're just, at this point, we're just taking it one day at a time. You know, we love being in California. We love being near our family in Michigan. Um, you know, we, we're, you're right in saying that we're, I, I consider myself blessed in all the in all the things that that are happening especially during the last few months of this pandemic we've been very lucky in that we've been able to make the best of it with all sorts of hiking going to visit family going to just try to maintain as much normalcy as possible while still trying to stay as safe as possible and uh you know i think i think we'll uh, the be- the best i can say is we'll just see what happens yeah that's it, right? Have the game plan, have the pregame, but then let's yep. let, let's kick the ball off and see what happens. I, I like it. Yep. Uh, good stuff. Well, well, Michael, kind of in closing, you know, you mentioned it a little bit there. We've been in just this unprecedented times, whether it be the lockdown, whether it be all the protests, all the negativity, all the I call a lot of it like hypocrisy and just all the. It's just, it's just been, this whole year's been one big mess. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, do you have any general thoughts on kind of just how crazy times are, current events? Uh, and if you if you don't want to speak in anything, I, I totally get it. Uh, but if if anything else, just how things have been different for you guys, uh, if you kind of don't want to touch on some of those uh, topics, uh, just how things have been like during this pandemic and lockdown for you and just your general thoughts uh, for 2020, I'll say. Well, you know, if if nothing else, I being such a techie, I I'm always on apps. I'm always watching the news and watching the media and watching social media. And if nothing else, I I have been able to more readily remind myself and teach myself to not not worry about that. You know, I've found myself on social media far less. I don't watch the news hardly as often. I actually spend a lot more time with my family and a lot more time with, with, with my kids and kind of with them and not on a device or on social media. And I've noticed, and, and my wife, my wife has noticed the same thing. We are happier people when we're not, not engaging with that. So we, we've made it kind of a point to just say, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to get on Twitter. We're not going to get on Facebook because it's just going to make us angry. And Lo and behold, we go sit out, go sit out on the porch, have a nice tea, talk about the day, and ignore the phones, and we're so much better off for it. So, you know, between that and all the hiking we've done, you know, our our my wife, my wife, my son, and I, we probably individually each logged about 130 miles in the last four months. So, you know, getting outside, getting outdoors, enjoying the days whenever we can. That between those two things, I think that's that those are the the, that's what i've found has uh has uh affected me at least positively during these last few months 
Well, that's refreshing to hear. I, I think you are, uh, you know, leading the charge into some very good ideas there about maybe yeah. turning things off. I think if we turn some yep. things off, we could get away from it all a little bit. Yep. Oh, you absolutely. And there was baseball on last night, so you can't go wrong with that. I finally got to watch the White Sox on national TV for the first time in a year and a half. So How about that? Isn't that weird, man? Here we are in July. It. <laughs> it's so crazy. Hey, what do you think of the no fans thing? You know, I you got to do what you got to do. And everybody yeah. everybody has their own risk tolerance and if if that's what's if that's what it's going to take to to get things back to quote unquote normal okay you know we've got we've got games on you know we're starting we're starting to kind of get that that camel's nose in the tent if that's what it takes then that's what it takes you know what's pretty crazy for for sports fans we've been uh uh putting all this this energy and not being able to watch anything for a long time now uh you know what in a couple weeks here we're gonna have a little bit of everything going on how about that isn't that crazy forward to it we got (laughs) we had we got opening day on thursday we've got hockey and nba basketball starting in a week after that i'm i'm looking forward to it (laughs) just a surplus man and and one final thing michael uh you know with you being a football official i don't know what the football season is going to look like for you uh here upcoming i i did hear recently that the cif made a decision uh, for high school sports i think they're not going to start till january as far mm-hmm. as football goes call i've heard junior college talk about the springtime i haven't heard anything on the the t- division three or anything uh, we don't have to get into the details necessarily but i do know for football officials it's going to be a challenging season we'll say with all these changes don't you agree i i think it will be for sure but you know what at, at the end of the day it's still the same game that we've been officiating for you know, for college football for 150 years now. So, you know, we just, we just got to take it, take it one day at a time and come prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever kickoff is, you guys will be ready. I know that yep. you guys carry yourselves yep. right and uh, you, you'll be ready for anything. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I, I think we, we all learned a little something about each other and uh, you know, definitely every time my ESPN app goes off now, I'm going to think of you. I know that. All right. For certain. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Keep up the good work, man. Uh, my best to the family. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything uh, down the road. Absolutely. Thanks, Smith. Thanks for having me on, Matt. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Thanks again, Michael Frayne. An absolute pleasure catching up with you, talking some football. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have football here in the upcoming months, but a lot of fun talking football. I could talk football any time of the year. Uh, I haven't officiated in a long time, so uh, it was a blast catching up with you, talking some football, talking some football officiating. Uh, my best to you and your family, the twins, all your kids. Uh, I think that's great stuff, man. I love some of the things you post on social media. So uh, I'll continue to follow you, and uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best in your climbing uh, climbing up the ladder, we'll say, of the officiating uh, career. So all the best, Michael, and I hope to talk to you very, very soon. Well, guys, that will wrap up not only the the today's show, but it will wrap up a week of shows. Had a great time talking to everybody this week. We've already put together some interviews for next week. Really excited about those, as I've been about all the different people we've talked to recently. Uh, I want to say, if, if you are interested in coming on the program, 
uh, and again, no pressure. We, we can talk about anything, really. I think anyone who's been a loyal listener of this show knows that we, we will talk about anything. Yes, we talk some Real Hondo Prep Sports with some of our alums. We talk about minor league baseball. We talk about umpiring. But we also talk about a lot of current events and stuff as well. So if anyone's interested, hey, I'm, I'm open book. Let's uh, let's get it going. Let's, uh, let, let's talk about uh, anything you want. There's plenty to talk about these days. And you know what? With sports coming back, Major League Baseball's back already. We got the NBA. We got NHL coming up. We got a lot of things that we're going to be able to talk about. The month of August could really, really be a lot of fun. So really looking forward to sports being back. And I keep saying it. I really, 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 really hope that uh, some of the activities, we'll say, by professional athletes do not push us, yes, myself included, do not push uh, us away the, uh, the fans who are hungry for sports and really want to see uh, their favorite sports uh, back on television because there's no other way for us to enjoy sports. We can't go to games right now. All we can do is watch on TV. So if, any, if we've learned anything, and I really hope the professional athletes are aware of this, is that the past few months we've all learned to live without sports or at least without the sports we're used to. So I don't think uh, many people would... Uh, would mind going back and just saying, you know what? I live with it for a few months without sports. I'll be fine. I don't need all this other uh, kind of nonsense going on. So anyway, I know everyone has causes and, and wants to be heard out about certain things, but I think we got to be careful in, uh, in not uh, offending too many people. That's the irony of all this, right? Uh, so we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm, I'm excited, at least for now, that <laughs> professional sports are back. Should be a lot of fun. And again, if you'd like to come on the program, there's many ways to reach out to us. We have a Twitter handle that is get home safe pod our facebook and instagram page is get home safe podcast and our email address is get home safe podcast at yahoo.com if you use the anchor app whether you use the app or the website anchor.fm you can go on there find our podcast there's a green button that says messages if you want to leave a voice message i can play that on the air and then give my answer or rebuttal uh, or respond to your statement or your content suggestion Whatever it may be. And if you don't want to have your voice heard, whatever, that's fine too. Just shoot us an email. Contact us through those social media platforms and we will get right to uh, your questions or suggestions, whatever it may be. We want to include you guys in this program because, uh, you know, for those who listen all the time, uh, you you know we're open to talk about anything and if you're new to the show uh hey we're we're getting after it uh, every day monday through friday we're going to talk sports if they're available and if not we'll talk about kind of what's going on in the world and and also just uh, talking and interacting with the the different people that have come on this program the different guests we've had the interviews we want to learn about other people kind of their story their their life path we'll say uh whether it's people that most of the listeners know or more most of them don't know so anyway next week we got some great interviews i'm looking them out looking at them now on our war board here in the uh, studio have a few lined up already we try to record our interviews about a week or so in advance uh, generally, but you know what, if, if something comes up and it's really relevant to the interview with, uh, something very current, we may bump someone up there. You guys know, Bill Barnes is here every single Wednesday. We usually record with him late Tuesday. And so that's always a little bit more relevant to what's going on a little more current. We'll say, but so that's how things are operating here at the get home safe podcast. If you'd like to come on or have a suggestion or anything, just reach out. We would love 
to hear from you guys. And we appreciate you hearing us Monday through Friday here on the Get Home Safe podcast. I said it already or tried to say it, but that'll wrap up our show for the day. That will wrap up our shows for the week. We're going to take a break. I'll tell you about my weekend on Monday. I hope yours goes well. Enjoy the baseball games. Enjoy the end of July. It is ending and wrapping up here very, very soon. And we are going into the month of August. And generally, August has been kind of a dead month with sports. But you know what? In 2020, we are going to have an absolute surplus. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to being back with you guys on Monday. But until then, guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.